0: What we do here is go back, 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 back,
1: back, back. And welcome into episode 13. I believe the Spanish word for thirteen is uh Trente? Trente? Am I right on, on this? Tracey Tracey. Tracey, Tracey. Episode Tracey Episode Trace, ask, ask Dos Ombrace and see if
0: they can tell you. I'm
1: going <laughs> to call up my buddy Tom Zank and ask him to translate for me. Uh, episode Trace of the Two and a Half Marks podcast, where we look back at the history of wrestling and watch a bunch of random shit on the WWE Network. I am your host, David Statman. And as always, I am joined by my good friends, Jake Long and Angelo Inglisa, as we go back in time once again. To early '90s WCW and review Slambery 1993, a Legends Reunion, a show that featured a full hour of nobody under the age of fifty <laughs> wrestling, and we loved it. So, without <laughs> further ado, what's going on, guys? Let's wait,
0: let's let's get into this. Wait, who's we? I did not have a good time.
1: <laughs> there uh, were parts of the show I kind of liked. WCW.
0: This entire time, absolutely trashing most of this show. Angelo's going to try to defend some of it. You're going to try to defend some of it. And I am going to trash it.
1: I'm going to make a disclaimer right here, though. I live about, what, 15 minutes away from you, right? Yeah. If you say anything unkind about Vader, I'm driving you out. I'm I'm doing it, man. You know I'm a Vader guy.
2: All right, all right, we'll get there. WCW <laughs> pisses me off because there's so many moments where it's like, wow, this is really cool. And then there are even more moments where you're like, why are they doing this? <laughs> there is like, what, two matches on this card? Maybe
1: f- out of like ten that have normal finishes? Yeah. Maybe three?
2: It's WCW, folks. Cl- yeah, clean finishes. It. I think there's just a two. Angelo, are you dying in a hurricane right now? Uh, No, the hurricane has passed, luckily with minor damage here. Uh, there are a lot of casualties I saw on the road with trees down, but however, my house was spared. Actually, as, as a matter of fact, if I could get the sentence out, uh, the house down the street is actually unlivable now because too many trees fell on it. Like, two trees fell on it, the roof is caved in, there's holes in the wall. Uh, sucks to be them. You hate to see it, but luckily, Casa Inglisa is fine and good to go. That's awesome, man. That's great to hear. Uh, we got an email from our
1: apartment complex saying hey guys this hurricane's coming and uh you know hold on to your butts boys and it's we it's been sunny all day (laughs) like it i I don't think we've had a single drop of rain pretty sure
0: what time did you get out of bed this morning i got out of bed at like i woke up at like 8 30 it rained until 12
1: o'clock it didn't rain here maybe it rained in Inwood. it didn't rain here
2: Pretty sure it's pronounced hurricane West Virginia.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Very and
2: topical. It's a
1: joke about West Virginia that nobody ever <laughs> nobody's gonna understand. So let's get into the show. Slambree, nineteen ninety-three. It's May twenty-third, nineteen ninety-three, and we are at the Omni in Atlanta, a classic wrestling venue that was the home base of Georgia championship wrestling and the NWA and Jim Crockett. And now WCW is here for a legends reunion. And a big part of this show is exactly that honoring the, le- the wrestling legends of the past. And there's just going to be a ton of guys that show up over the course of the show. And, you know, we'll, we'll mention some names and talk about guys here and there um, start off with just a bunch of wrestling greats kind of hobnobbing in the ring. They, they mentioned specifically Mr. Wrestling 2, who actually just recently died, I think a month or two ago. Uh, Dory Funk Jr., who we're going to see more of. Nick Bockwinkle, we're going to see more of later on. Vern Gagne, guys like that. We go to Tony Schiavone and Larry Zabisco on the call. Larry Zabisco, who is being very loud the entire show. <laughs> and then we from there, we move on to a guy named Max Payne. Uh, who is uh, just shredding a guitar solo for some reason. Um, fun fact about Max Payne. This was, so he was a wrestler in WCW for a couple years in the early 90s. His gimmick was like he was just a cool dude who like shredded on the guitar all the time. Ended up having a brief run in WWF in, I think, 95 as Man Mountain Rock. And later on, filed a lawsuit against Rockstar Games when they made the video game Max Payne alleging that they stole his name and gimmick for the video game and they ended up settling out of court. So he actually made some money off the deal. So good for him. Wow.
0: Wow. Secure the bag. I wonder if he owned his name rights because normally that's like a WWF, WWE thing where they own the rights. No idea.
1: Hmm. No idea. But so Max Payne's out there. He is absolutely just shredding a guitar solo. Um, As he's Absolutely just ripping this up. A bunch of dudes in their underwear. They carry out a giant palanquin containing the fabulous Mula, The uh, legendary woman wrestler, uh, horif- hor- just horrifying person uh, <laughs> who's going, who is currently in the seventh circle of hell.
0: Um, and for, those then, of, for those of you that don't know what David's talking about, I encourage you to just Google uh, fabulous Moolah, uh, I guess like training or something like that. And you will find some horrific stories from former trainees of hers about, like, the sexual exploitation that Mula would put them through. It's pretty horrific.
1: Yeah, it's terrifying. So she shows up in this giant palanquin like she is, you know, the queen of Spain. And then she is never mentioned again. Uh, so that's, that's kind of where we're starting off with here. Um, <laughs> we've, got Eric, to that even more. we've got Eric Bischoff, a young Eric Bischoff, fresh-faced young lad. Uh, and Missy Hyatt are there. They're going to be doing interviews and you know, they continue to interview people kind of interspersed throughout the show. A lot of the, the, the old legends and whatever. And so we get to our first match of the night, a tag team match between the great, beautiful Bobby Eaton and a young Chris Benoit. I think this is our first, is this our first time? No, second. Doing a Benoit match? Is second. It second. What was the first king
2: time? of the ring? 2000. When he okay. faced Rikishi,
1: you are right. That was a really short match and I forgot yep. about it. Um, Beautiful Bobby Eaton and a young Chris Benoit who is wearing Zubaz tights, taking on Two Cold Scorpio and Marcus Alexander Bagwell, who of course later would be known as Buff Bagwell. Podcast favorite. The dark the dark years of WCW. Um and Two Cold Scorpio and Bagwell, they're just a couple cool young guys and they're dancing. Um they ring the bell, they're just kind of doing some athletic stuff. Uh, Benoit goes for uh, the diving headbutt, one point. Bagwell gets the knees up. And the end of this match is just a couple really cool spots from Too Cold Scorpio. Uh, Too Cold Scorpio first does the uh, this kind of floating 180 uh, splash that Matt Riddle ends up turning into what he calls the floating bro now. Which looks really cool because he gets great air on it. And then at the very end, he does a big moonsault leg drop. Uh, A move that makes both Tony Schiavone and Larry Zabisco spontaneously combust at ringside. And Scorp gets the pin in 9 minutes and 22 seconds. Kind of ran through this one quickly, but this was a pretty good match. And Angelo, when he watched this match, I will will (laughs) give it away. When he watched this match, he texted both me and Jake in all caps, how the hell have I not heard about Too Cold Scorpion?
2: <laughs> that dude could fucking work. Excuse my French, but oh my oh, god, that one out. <laughs> uh, we're explicit anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, but like he was the the air about him. I say the air a lot. That's probably something that you're going to throw on the bingo card, Jake. <laughs> um, but he carries himself as just like this guy who's Gonna come into the ring. He's gonna have fun, and this match shows you he's like a legitimate guy, like you could build on. And the fact that I've never heard of a guy that has this method- much this much athleticism and in-ring charisma, I don't get it. I really don't get it here because then you have him paired with Marcus Bagwell, another guy who was mentioned of the Rookie of the Year with WCW, um, a guy that has impressed in the matches we've had. He's only been involved in tag team matches so far in the three or four WCW pay-per-views we've done. But another guy that does some pretty good work in the ring, and the concept of those two as a team was fun. Facing Bobby Ian, great tag team performer, a guy that I've started appreciating a lot more, watching some clips or GIFs on Twitter or watching the matches when we go back to rewatch them. Uh, and then you have Chris Benoit, a po- another podcast favorite, a guy who – great worker in the ring, and this is when he was still very early into his career – and these four guys put on a great opening match. I legitimately popped at that. Cor- I called it a corkscrew, like centon uh, leg drop, because li- he literally lands ass on Benoit's head. But it was such a cool spot up in the air. Uh, he he <laughs> crushed his head like his his ass bone
0: like collided with Benoit's cheekbone, and I am shocked that neither one
2: of them were. Like, immediately heard from that. Um, Yeah, that was, it was a surprising, like, clean spot. But this entire match just shows a lot of athleticism, and the speed what caught me off guard. And I had to go back, and I took a look at their histories because Ian's not a guy that normally works fast. Bagwell, obviously, we talked about his athleticism. But the thing that kind of surprised me, and something that I kind of knew but didn't know, was Benoit was a New Japan guy. And so is too cold Scorpio. And I think you could see a lot of that presence in this match. Cause those two start off the match and you see them go back and forth that early opener, uh, with that, if you have the kip up, uh, they're running the ropes back and forth, uh, into a, uh, drop kick. And then an arm drag, very high pace, not something you normally see a lot of these WCW, especially this time period, start off with the rest holds, as you see with the next four matches, uh, it just felt very fresh, something that you could see on a Today Wrestling show. And Too Cold Scorpio, I feel like he was lost the time, and he shouldn't have been.
1: Yeah, Chris Benoit was wrestled in New Japan for years and yeah. years and years. I think a great – I would love to do a show on the 94 Super J Cup, which Benoit won. Um, it was considered at least at the time to maybe be like – the greatest single night of in-ring wrestling ever. And I don't know like if you know, maybe that's changed, but uh, it was like a one-night, like I think like 16-man tournament that Benoit won. And it's like the guys in that, that tournament, it's like Eddie Guerrero, Dean Malenko, like young Jushin Thunder Liger, like Prime, great Sasuke and Hayabusa and like all these dudes. And it's like awesome. But like Benoit, Benoit was a big new Japan guy for years.
0: And actually you could have watched two cold Scorpio up until I think like last year was the, like, he was yeah. active in the ring oh, if 100%. It was this year, but he was last year and he looked, there were some pictures and he looked old, old. Well, um, but I mean, he's also been wrestling for like 45 years at this point. Um, so I, I mentioned this at the beginning of the, of the show. Um, I didn't, uh, I didn't like this show, and I'm gonna be honest, I didn't like this match. You know, we keep talking about or you guys talked about all the stuff that happened. Like a lot of stuff happened, but also nothing really happened. There was just like a bunch of punches and then too cold hit a couple cool spots and then it ended. Yeah. And I, I, I you know.
1: Go ahead. I Dan. don't I don't disagree with you. I mean, I I, I think it I like this match just because of like, there's a few cool, too cold Scorpio spots in it. Yeah, and uh, I think a lot of times for matches at this point, like, I'll take that. You know what I mean?
0: That's fair. Yeah, as especially far as the like card goes.
1: Yeah, especially uh, when you're talking about this card, like I will take that. Like <laughs> the moves called leg drop is a move that you could do today, and it'd be really brutal sick. move. Yeah, and. Like, I can only imagine what it would have looked like in 1993 seeing a, a guy do that. Too Cold Scorpio legitimately is one of those dudes who, like, you know, he never had a big run anywhere, but he was legitimately, when you watch him in the ring, like 20 years ahead of his time.
0: Absolutely. And I, actually-
1: I would I would recommend, he. They, they mentioned this match on the show, a match that he had with Benoit a couple of months before, I think at, like, Super Brawl, I think a couple months before, that is an awesome match. And I would highly recommend that match.
0: Um, And I I, I actually have that, that he could go in the ring, but he just never really got pushed. He was always like a mid-card attraction because he could high fly. But I I think that says a lot about, you know, what people favored as far as their wrestling experience in 93. Um, And, you know, (laughs) you've got Buff Bagwell or Marcus Bagwell, I guess at this point. In this match, and uh, we were actually talking about last night's Raw whenever uh, they were doing the Raw Under... I say last night. This We're recording this on the 4th of August. So the night before, they, did, they debuted Raw Underground. And we were talking about how this was like late era WCW booking. And so I looked up WCW Greed 2001, and <laughs> Buff Bagwell was like the guy on the poster for that. And he was in like the second match that was like five minutes long. Yeah. I just think that's a great summary.
2: <laughs> Raw yeah. Underground for me is a cool concept that was executed horribly because I can't deal with Shane calling the <laughs> match. Shane just talking over the entire match. Just let the match be. It was Welcome just so poorly to WCW produced. WCW
0: <laughs> <in> 2001, Angelo. <laughs> oh, my
2: God. I don't
1: even want to think about it because, like, that was so bad because, like, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting concept, and I like shoot-style wrestling but I've seen good shoot style wrestling and that's not good shoot style wrestling. That was like a bunch of dudes doing stuff for 20 seconds while Shane McMahon screams gibberish. And then there are strippers for some reason. (laughs) I hated it. It was terrible. I don't want to, I don't even want to think about it right now, but yeah, buff Bagwell is like one of those dudes who like, when I think of the, just like the darkest times of WCW like the real just end stage, just terminal cancer. I think of Buff Bagwell and I think of like, you know, Scott Steiner. Even though I love Scott Steiner, I think about Scott Steiner.
0: David Arquette. <laughs> and I think about Vince Russo. The greatest WCW champion of all time. David
2: Arquette. I guess Ooh. one last thing before we move on here. I, I do think this is like what you do for an opening match so for a pay-per-view. Oh, absolutely. I don't think you need to necessarily worry too much about the story. I mean, I'm not sure what the story coming into this was. But you have Bobby and a guy who's at this point 35 years old, a veteran uh, veteran tag teamer. With Chris Always an
1: excellent worker. Always a an great excellent worker. worker I, love, I
2: I really appreciate watching Ian matches because even though he doesn't do a lot of big moves, the stuff he does in the ring, he makes sure that the match continues on. It doesn't feel like it drags at all, uh, which is something that you see a lot during this time. Uh, Benoit, obviously a guy that is just a great entering technician who has a lot of athleticism, speed, quickness, and submission, uh, mastery Bagwell, a guy who just young, full of energy, high prospect. And then you have two school called Scorpio who stole the whole show, uh, 28 years old, 23 for Bagwell, 26 for Benoit. So you have three younger guys in there working with a veteran, getting that experience in the ring. I think that's kind of uh, as much as you could hope for, for an opening match.
1: Yep for sure
2: moving on
1: we have so we we uh flash to van hammer so here is van hammer um i don't really know how to describe van hammer he's the next guy out on the show he was i i think his gimmick was so he was a big, tall, jacked, you know, tan bodybuilder type with the long blonde hair, had the look. They wanted to push him in the early 90s because, you know, he had the look. And he has this, you know, he comes out, he's got this like kind of heavy metal rock star gimmick. Like Max Payne, but he doesn't actually play the guitar well or really do anything well. And he was just absolute crap in the ring. So he never went anywhere. Um, Van Hammer comes out. And he is joined by Colonel Robert Parker, who comes out afterwards. We talk a little bit about Colonel Robert Parker. If you go back to our Fall Brawl 94 episode, he is involved in the War Games match. Or it might be. I mean, Maha! Yeah, yeah, I think it was fall, fall, uh, it was fall Brawl 94, right? That was yes. the War Games match? Yes, that's what I, I should have written that down so I don't look like an idiot who doesn't remember <laughs> the episodes of his own podcast. But Colonel Robert Parker comes out. This is an unannounced match. And Van Hammer is going to be taking on a mystery opponent. We don't know who it is. Colonel Robert Parker comes out to introduce Van Hammer's opponent. And it is the returning Sid Vicious, who gets a pretty big pop. I think we talked a little bit about Sid Vicious last episode, Psycho Sid, who was kind of a a big star throughout the 90s in both WCW, WWF, another guy who got pushed not because he was a great worker or a great talent or anything like that but because he was a huge guy who was jacked had the look right Sid comes out gets a big pop he hammer gets about three shots in kick to the gut from Sid clothesline power bomb and Sid vicious pins him in 35 seconds Psycho, so,
0: or, or not psycho.
1: The dream of the Van Hammer push dies in that
0: moment. <laughs> Sid, Sid looked like a Steven Seagal villain. He looked <laughs> like a movie straight out of like, uh, uh, I'm drawing a blank on a Steven Seagal movie, but I under I've siege, seen a lot of under a Seag- great
1: Steven Seagal movie. I've seen a
0: lot of them, and I've never seen a bad one. So I, I think Sid would fit right into a Steven Seagal movie, and I think that Van Hammer looks like what I used to create on w, uh, SmackDown versus Raw. Back in like
1: 08. but you create a dude who looks like Van Hammer, and then you have him doing like shooting star presses, absolutely. and
0: like yeah, absolutely. And like like my finish was in a was an electric chair, like sit out power bomb, and Ooh. it looked like I was like murdering my uh my on screen opponent. Because Van Hammer is what you, if
1: everything had gone right for you genetically, want yourself <laughs> Jake Long, to look like.
2: Van Hammer was uh, Buff Buchanan or Bull Buchanan. Before Bill Buchanan, just a giant guy Ooh. with no gimmick.
0: Yeah, it's an yeah, interesting
2: gimmick. concept. Yeah, it's an interesting comparison.
0: But I his, sure his gimmick is. I'm a big guy. <laughs>
2: uh, not a lot of notes for this match. Uh, just that Sid is really big. Uh, but there's a story about Sid because I did some research, uh, <laughs> where he was stabbed. Yeah. For, he was stabbed four times uh, and lived. However, he was stabbed four times because he stabbed the other person twenty times, and that other person was Arn Anderson. Yes,
1: I think it was with a pair of scissors, yes, if was. I remember correctly. Wait, <laughs> oh,
2: yeah, you didn't know about
1: the Arn-Sid throwdown? No. Oh, yeah. What? I think that's what got Sid fired from WCW. Originally. It was. Yeah, it was a whole thing. Oh, my God. <laughs> um. Yeah. Sid is a guy who just kind of had a bizarre career. Um. He quit wrestling for a while because he liked playing, like, semi-pro softball more than he liked wrestling. And his last WCW run ended when he suffered maybe the most gruesome in-ring injury in the history of the sport when his leg snapped in two yes. during the WCW sin pay-per-view. It looked like Joe Theismann yes, type type that. leg break. Yeah, I, I do not recommend looking that up. But even though Sid had just like one of the most bizarre careers ever, I've always been kind of a Sid Mark, to be honest with you. (laughs) And and the thing about Sid is that he got pushed everywhere he went. And a guy who looks like that is probably going to be pushed everywhere he went. Because, I mean, this is the 90s, right? Like, this is the perfect time for a guy like that. He wasn't a great talent as a wrestler. He was a solid talker. But he was over everywhere he went. He got pushed maybe because he was big and he had a good look. But there were plenty of other guys during that time who were big and had a good look who were not as over or not nearly as over as Sid was pretty much everywhere. And he just kind of had this something about him, like this this type of presence and this type of intensity that the crowd really reacted to. I don't know know what you guys think about Sid, but there was something about Sid. There was just something about him that got the crowd into him
0: everywhere he went. I just looked up the the injury video, not to watch it, but just to see a picture. And then I ended up watching Psycho Sid versus Heath Slater on Raw in 2012. And I'm having a great time right now. What? (laughs) Oh yeah. That's a real match that actually happened. Sid's wrestling in jeans, but tall boots and knee pads and just like clotheslines and power bombs in one, two, three. That was a lot of fun. I'm glad I watched that.
1: (laughs) It's pretty great. Um, So yeah, moving on. So that, I mean, a 35 second match. Don't need to uh, dwell too much on Van Hammer and Sid. But I I did want to talk about Sid a little bit because there's always, I don't know. I've always liked Sid for whatever reason. There's a Sid mark in every crowd. I'm I'm the Sid mark in this. (laughs) So we move into the the next section of the show is dominated by the old guys. Again, this is the Legends reunion. We flashed a... Eric Bischoff, he interviews uh, Red Bastine and Bugsy McGraw, who are a couple old wrestlers from way back in the day. And we go to a Legends six-man tag match. On one side, you've got uh, former Miami Dolphin, Wahoo McDaniel. We've got Blackjack Mulligan, the father of Barry Windham, who we will see later on tonight. And former Killer Bees member in WWF in the 80s, Jumping Jim Brunzel. On the other side, you have perhaps the most cursed six-man tag team of all time. You've got uh, the magnificent Don Morocco, who, as far as I know, has never done anything particularly objectionable in his life, really. But next to him, you have got uh, Dirty Dick Murdoch, a card-carrying confirmed member of the Ku Klux Klan. And you have Jimmy Snuka, Superfly Jimmy Snuka, who in I think 1983 murdered his girlfriend and essentially got away with it. So you have Don Morocco with a murderer and a clansman who, I don't know, he was in the Klan, so maybe he murdered somebody too? This seems like the kind of stuff that they do, right? I mean what was this the 2012 Florida Gators? Oh. 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 Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. Man, remember
0: Riley Cooper? Remember the whole thing? Jeez. <laughs> He was a good possession I, receiver, though. I, I looked up Don Morocco scandal, and the first thing that shows up is the unsettling life of Jimmy Superfly Snuka. So <laughs> that, tells you,
2: that tells you what really goes I on. I think
0: that tells you a lot right there.
2: <laughs> I just realized my but, Gators uh, reference is even better because you have Riley Cooper, and then you could have the Snuka is Aaron Hernandez.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so who's uh, who's Tebow in this match? It's Don Morocco, right? It's Don Morocco. Well, to, to, to go back to it, uh blackjack mulligan was wrestling in this match coming off of a two-year prison stint for i believe tax fraud so he was you know i mean he he had some some legal history of his own. he was a businessman <laughs> you know but hey i mean there's levels to this there's you know tax fraud okay it's illegal you go to jail for that but then there's that and then there's being in the clan and then there's murdering somebody <laughs> so there's levels you know they're not angels none of them but some are worse than others but so this is a match between old dudes. I think the youngest guy in this match is Jim Brunzel and he's like in his late forties. It's a match between old dudes. Some of these guys are, you can tell are really working as hard as they can. Um, Snuka is absolutely gassed up. He looks jacked. He is like at least 50% of his blood is horse testosterone in this match. Um, Dirty Dick Murdoch does a flying head scissors at one point, and he gets a, a really big pop from the crowd. Um, Morocco does a big power slam. Blackjack Mulligan, I give him credit in this match because you could tell he was really working hard to try and make this match work and like actually pretend that he cared about this match. Um, I actually read uh, a lot of times for these shows. I like to read uh, Dave Meltzer's newsletters from that time, and new, uh, uh, Meltzer says in this, about this match, "quote I haven't seen Blackjack Mulligan this active since the Civil War." <laughs> um but you know tough crowd uh uh, yeah Don Morocco does a big power slam and then the match ends up breaking down Snuka accidentally elbows his teammate Don Morocco in the corner it all kind of turns into a big brawl and the referee rings the bell and it is ruled a no contest in
0: nine minutes and six seconds this is just pure trash but I said it last podcast, whenever you went to hit the randomizer, I said I wanted trash, but I wanted WCW greed 2001 trash, where it's like current guys that are just hamming it up and it's terrible. This was bad in a, I'm uncomfortable watching this because I know what these guys have done or will do later. Like, uh, you're you're uncomfortable watching this because
1: you're like, Oh, well, Dick Murdoch's in the clan and Jimmy Snuka murdered somebody. Yeah, well, the
0: deal. I mean, I don't know if I don't know if he if he had murdered her by now, but he had yes, he, was he, like, the this was a solid 10 years after, oh, okay. He murdered okay, so her. yeah, so then, uh, yeah, I mean, that like that makes me uncomfortable watching watching this because then it, because it's supposed to be like, well, you're supposed to love these legends because everybody loves them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, because obviously Benoit committed an absolutely atrocious act, but. It wasn't being presented to us like, you have to love Chris Benoit because we all do. It was kind of like, this is Chris Benoit, he's going to wrestle. But it was like, here's some legends, love them. No, I'm not going to. This is terrible. And the only solace I take is the fact that uh, Rocky Johnson, who is The Rock's father, uh, one time knocked Dick Dick Murdoch out in a match because Murdoch was throwing stiff punches and Rocky Johnson told him to lighten up or he's going to knock him out. And he didn't lighten up. So Rocky Johnson shoot knocked him out in the middle of a match, which made me happy to find
2: out. Talk shit, get hit, man. A lot yeah, of dude. great stories, though. I mean, we we had the Sid Vicious story. Now we have this story. Uh, yeah, the first note I have is a Klansman, a possible murderer, which is possible in quotes. Uh, and then <laughs> at first when I heard like saw Wahoo McDaniel because I only have vague recollections, I'm like, oh great, this is gonna be a like, classic. Oh stereotype, but luckily Wahoo McDaniel uh, doesn't care. It isn't that character, so. And I and Wahoo McDaniel, Waho McDaniel, at the very least, I
1: believe, was actually was. Um, Native American. Whereas you also had, at the same time, you had uh, Chief J Strongbow wrestling at the same time. who was also, like, a big star and was doing the Native American gimmick and was just an Italian guy.
0: <laughs> like, I remember, uh. I think it was,
1: like, 1994 in WWF, they had uh, Tatanka, who was wrestling, doing the Native American gimmick, and like, he's actually also Native American. And they brought in, um, like, Strongbow and, McDan- and like, Wahoo McDaniel to, like, corner him or something. And I just remember thinking, like, I wonder what Tatanka and, McDan- like, Wahoo McDaniel think about being there with Jay Strongbow, who is literally an Italian guy <laughs> pretending to be a Native American.
0: And that's a thing that they, like, Hollywood is – they still do that. Um, they'll take – Italian guys and they'll play native Americans or they'll play, um, you know, somebody from, uh, from other countries just because their complexion is darker. Um, there was, there, there was, uh, who is it? I think Jinder Mahal, isn't he, uh canadian
2: yeah he's canadian yeah but he's like he's
0: like he's like indian canadian like, is, is he indian like
1: gender? i believe he, um, he i believe he is of indian descent yes then, then i i don't know who I'm, th- I'm thinking of somebody who played another are you thinking you might be thinking of muhammad hassan yes yes yeah
0: who was an italian guy yes that's what i was i i i don't know why i said gender i know he's not italian That's. A, <laughs> that's who I, I knew gender had like was, was legitimately of that culture so but yeah.
2: <laughs> but like no. that's the thing like I had to think about that in my head cuz I'm like I'm not sure if this is a WC WWF C- w- w- thing or if he's legitimately like a Native American. Uh but ignore the negatives. Blackjack Mulligan, great ring name, and it's a shame that the only pop in this match was when Dick Murdoch did a head scissors. Yeah, But, hey, Dick Murdoch was a legit three hundo probably at this point. Old, fat man.
1: He got up there. I give him credit. He got
0: up there. (laughs) (laughs) His stomach hung so far over his trunks. Like, I thought his trunks were going to fall off at one point. It's funny because he's got noodle
2: arms, too. He's got noodley arms and a big old gut. Yeah. It's it's
1: important to note that before, like, Hulk Hogan, almost every pro wrestler looked like had just a physically disgusting, like, physique they were all fat dudes like almost every one of them <laughs> except for like bruno sammartino who was like super jacked but even he I,
0: was kind of built like short and stout
1: yeah like he was a thick dude but he was yeah. like jacked but he wasn't like fat or anything like almost all these dudes were just fat and ugly
2: <laughs> That's it's <that's> look <laughs> on the juice
1: yeah brutal man absolutely brutal uh, so we move on. We've got Missy Hyatt interviewing uh, the assassin, Jody Hamilton, and Mad Dog Bichon, Uh about the assassin. Dave Meltzer notes that the assassin, quote, needs a new mask because it only covers three of his six chins. And it's kind of brutal, but it really honestly kind of accurate. It's, it's, not, it's not a great look. It's a little uncomfortable. Um, the assassin cuts a promo challenging Dusty Rhodes, and uh, Missy just kind of seems uncomfortable by the whole thing. We move on to a a Legends tag match. We have Ivan Koloff, best known as the man who beat Bruno Sammartino in Madison Square Garden to end Bruno's seven-and-a-half-year WWF title run in 1971. The legend goes that it was so quiet in Madison Square Garden after Koloff won that you could legitimately hear a pin drop Mm. in the arena. He is teaming with Baron Von Raschke, an evil German heel who is actually a dude named Jim from Minnesota. Um, And then we've got the other, on the other side, the babyface team of Thunderbolt Patterson, a local Atlanta legend who gets a big pop and his tag team partner is supposed to be bullet barb Armstrong, but he does not show up. Uh, Thunderbolt says that Bob is hurt. He's going to kick both their asses anyway on himself by himself. Uh, The Heels are both talking shit about the Armstrongs. So out comes Bob's son, Brad Armstrong, a really, really underrated worker from this time. And he just ends up tag teaming with Thunderbolt Patterson, and they all throw down. Patterson probably gets, like, the best reactions of any of the legends on this show. in the ring. He's just doing his whole shtick and dancing around and making fun of the Heels, and the crowd's loving it. Um, Rashkey ends up putting his iron claw on on young brad armstrong but bolt breaks it up they all throw down and then thunderbolt patterson hits a double throat shop on baron von rashke and pins him in four minutes and 39 seconds angelo who is your oozing charisma guy of this week and why is it thunderbolt patterson
2: do i have a choice to pick anyone other than thunderbolt patterson because no, i don't. mean <laughs> the guy in the ring uh I, I like his commitment to the bit of the name Thunderbolt, because he, lo- he moves around the ring like he was struck by lightning. And I don't mean that he moves quick. I mean, he moves he's in spasms. Uh, but, again, this is just another Legends match. There's nothing really that goes on here. No big spots. Nothing like big whoop for me. It was cool reading about Thunderbolt Patterson and how like he is a guy who, outside the ring, always gave back to the mutiny. He's actually an ordained minister, I'm pretty sure. Uh, he does a lot of uh, charitable acts. So, a guy that used his fame in the ring to do something good out of the ring. And that's the best thing I could say about this match. But Thunderbolt Patterson, great guy. I still think two cold Scorpios by oozing charisma guy, but Thunderbolt Patterson's definitely up there.
0: Oh man, I, I, got, it on, I got it on the bingo card if Angelo says oozing charisma about Thunderbolt because that's who my oozing charisma guy is. <laughs> Whenever he came out, uh, I, I don't remember exactly what motion he did, but like he did some kind of little dance move. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I couldn't help but... like. Pop a little bit because it was kind of (laughs) cool. Crowd loved Thunderbolt, man. They were into Thunderbolt. But it was it was at this moment I knew this is just Raw twenty five as a WCW pay per view. (laughs) Oh yeah, that's all this was. Or wait, I think it was Raw twenty five whenever they did like the the um, Manhattan, not the Manhattan. Yeah, when
1: they had the man, they they did it at the Manhattan Center.
0: Oh yeah, what? Yeah, it was the Manhattan Center, and like the stories about that show were just terrible because everybody said we sat there for days.
2: And we got two matches
0: that were bad.
2: Yep. That's kind of the thing I kind of realized about this segment of the entire card. It's just like, these are matches on the card solely for the people that paid the ticket admission. So they could say, oh, I saw Thunderbolt Patterson live. But right. it, 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 Rewatching it, it's just, it sucks to watch. I was so <laughs> out of it.
0: It's kind of like a Taker match now where it's like, you're pretty much just like, if, if you're excited about doing it, it's because you're just like, oh, that's Taker you know yeah
1: pretty much pretty much next up we've got a flair for the gold rick flair is Mm -hmm. on the stage and he is promising that on this legends reunion he is going to reunite the original four horsemen so flair comes swaggering out they got the set on the stage It looks like a fancy penthouse he's got the you know he's wearing the the expensive suit he's got the babes with him. And, you know, he's he's being Ric Flair. He's cutting a promo. He's being charismatic. Everyone loves him. He Out comes Arn Anderson, who we're going to see later tonight. Uh, he's bo- a man who was born looking exactly 45 years old. <laughs> they start, Rick and Arn start talking about, hey, apparently, you know, we're going to reunite the original four horsemen. But apparently, Tully Blanchard isn't going to be here. Ole Anderson comes out now. He looks out. He looks super old and they're all talking about, man, Tully's not going to be here. I think maybe Barry Windham got to Tully somehow. I don't really know what that means, but it's all good because now we have a new member of the Four Horsemen. The Four Horsemen, one of the most legendary factions in the history of pro wrestling. Ric Flair, Hall of Famer. Arn Anderson, Hall of Famer. One of the greats. Ole Anderson, Hall of Famer. Which man can live up to those names and fit into that prestige of the name Four Horsemen, the answer is the newest member of the group. It's Paul Roma, baby. (laughs) It's Paul Roma, who is just like a guy, and he shows up. I mean, he's, he's literally just a guy, and he gets no reaction at all. The fans do not care about Paul Roma, and they show up and they're like, "Hey, these are the new Four Horsemen." Now we've got Paul Roma, and then it ends.
2: Man, this really is Raw 2020, isn't it? I mean, it's like it's like if they were going to do like a, a, a few years
1: ago when they did the Evolution reunion, right? It's like they they come out. It, it would be like if they they came out for you know evolution reunion and then they say oh wait guys you know randy orton's not going to be here but we've got a new fourth member of evolution
0: it's darren young <laughs> <laughs> i was so curious who, who you were going to use for that and that was the perfect one man darren young might have gone over <laughs> <laughs>
1: And I remember Darren Young almost got over when they, when they had him with Bob Backlund a few years ago, the, the make Darren, Young, Darren Young great again, uh storyline. They almost got it. And then they just stopped pushing. The <laughs> and they just forgot he existed for years. And then they got rid of him. Uh
2: So, I mean, yeah, Paul Rome is in the four horsemen now. A guy that would later, I'm pretty sure later on, he's tagging with Paul Orndorff on one episode we just did. Uh, he was, was on the F- Fall, Fall Brawl episode,
1: and I thought he looked
2: pretty good in that. He did movie. look good. But it's yeah. like, okay, cool, so we add him to the Four Horsemen, and now here he is, like, less than two years later, Yay. not in the Four Horsemen. Yep.
1: Alright. <laughs> so, moving on. Uh, Paul Roma is in the Four Horsemen, and speaking of you know, Ric Flair, we have got Johnny Valentine on commentary for this next match. Johnny Valentine and Ric Flair have one very important and meaningful tie. Johnny Valentine was a a rising star wrestler in the early 70s who had his career ended in a plane crash in 1975 when he was paralyzed. Ric Flair was also on that plane. He broke his back, and it ended up in Ric Flair reinventing himself and reinventing his whole style and eventually becoming the nature boy, Ric Flair, that we all know and love. Hmm. So we have Johnny Valentine on uh, the call for this next match. It thankfully is our last Legends match of the night. It is a singles match between a former NWA world champion, Dory Funk Jr., and a former AWA champion, Nick Bockwinkle. Dory Funk coming out with uh, Gene Kaniski and Nick Bockwinkle coming out with Vern Gagne, both two also legendary former champions. They go in there and they just have a kind of a, a slow paced, but very technically sound mat wrestling match where they're swapping holes. And, you know, if you're like me and you're a nerd and you like mat wrestling, you probably ended up liking that match more than you expected to going in. And if you're not like me and you don't, you know, really like that style of wrestling, then you thought this was the most boring thing you've ever seen in your life. And the crowd was definitely not super into it. You know, not a lot of heat for this match. Um, But they execute everything well. A 51-year-old against a 58-year-old, both have a ton of miles. They did the kind of match that those two guys at their age could do and execute the best. Um, But yeah, a lot of holds, a lot of just, you know, mat wrestling. They end up trading some kind of stiff shots. Uh Dory Funk hits a back suplex and then does a, a, a vertical suplex from the outside in for a two count. Hits a pile driver. bachwinkle gets his foot on the ropes. Funk locks in his spinning toe hold that gets pulled into a cradle by bachwinkle for a two count. Uh Bachwinkle locks in the figure four, but Gene Kaniski, who is uh Dory Funk's second, runs in and just you know, uh, stops stomps bachwinkle Uh there's no disqualification for some reason for this just you know comical outside interference (laughs) and then they get to the ropes and then they get up and they both fight until the 15 minute time limit hits it is officially a draw and the crowd at the end does give these two guys a, a a solid round of applause for for that match but I mean, for me, I, I'm, I already like that style of wrestling. So I really didn't think it was, it was that bad. Again, it was two guys who were over 50 and really you know, have a ton of miles. But everything they did, they executed well.
0: The, the end of the match, to me, made it better than terrible. Because once I, once I figured out, like, <laughs> oh, they're telling the story of they're both so good that neither one can win, I got it. And I understood they were fighting to the no contest. But everything leading up to that, I just oh, I like. I think I I, I put it on, and then I just kept playing Spider Man for the PS4 because I didn't really care. Um, but at how least, much? Dude, how
1: much do you have left in that game? I need you to get Last of Us 2 already, I, dude,
0: dude. I'm trying. I got like 20 percent left. I'll get there. I promise. <laughs> oh, come on, man. Um, but you know the NWA versus the AWA. Um, if you're like an, if you're a, a pre 90s wrestling fan, I mean that was super cool. Dory Funk was, uh. Is not often talked about in the, the legends that are that are remembered, but I think he, I know he should be because he's that good, um, him and Terry Funk. Um, so, yeah, you know, it was super boring to me, but the ending at least made it make sense to me. It wasn't senselessly boring.
2: You could, I, I would argue that that toe, toehold submission, you know, it's a good submission. Uh, Bogwinkle has some shots in there. Funk has a very nice uppercut considering his age, but man, the entire encapsulation of this match for me is seeing Funk go for a single leg where he can barely bend over, and he like <laughs> grazes Bockwinkel's leg, and Bockwinkel sells like he has like completely ripped out from under him and falls backwards at the end of the match. The first note I have on it is this: this is really a 15-minute match with two guys that are over 50. Yes. And this is a match that is longer than the two previous legend matches combined and it's just I understand why they did it I can understand the story but in terms of watching it as someone that doesn't enjoy you no know, he does. I, I enjoy some of those submission moves like the Zack saber like technical stuff when it's done at pace but this is a snail's pace and so slow it's so hard for me it was so hard for me to get into this match I didn't think it was that bad
1: but I get it I understand why you guys say that I, I I I get where you guys are coming from, and I respect your opinions.
0: I, I mean, I, I would have said this was probably like, I don't know. It wasn't the worst match on the card. I Definitely say not. That.
1: Yeah, I would say it was probably a solid, I mean, it was probably the sixth best match on the card.
0: Yeah. I I that. that. <laughs>
1: yeah. Okay. Well. Okay, we're we're finally done with all the legends wrestling. We're back to normal wrestling with people who actually have uh, their knee ligaments remain. (laughs) We have a tag match. Ravishing Rick Rude, the United States Champion, is teaming up with the Television Champion, Mister Wonderful Paul Orndorff, to take on the Natural Dustin Rhodes and one of my favorite wrestlers that nobody ever talks about, Kensuke Sasaki. An absolute badass who I love. Check Doesn't it really... off with of the check it off of the bingo card, because that's on there too. <laughs> <laughs> I love Kensuke Sasaki. That is my guy. David's talking ass. about
0: a, a Japanese wrestling moment or person. Love it. Love Kensuke Sasaki.
1: So we've got uh Ravishing Rick Rude, of course, a classic gimmick. I'm gonna say this right now. His WCW theme, a banger. <laughs> a bob loves it. It is a absolute pop. And so we've got uh, the heel team of Rude and Orndorff, the face team of Dustin Rhodes and Sasaki. Uh, Mr. Wonderful working hurt. He pulled his groin a couple of days before, and definitely kind of seemed like he was having trouble moving around a little bit. The faces work them over for a little while. Dustin goes after Rude and ends up uh, getting sent over the top rope. Rude takes over for a while, picks Dustin up for a pile driver But then Dustin reverses it into a tombstone for a two-count. Dustin finally gets the hot tag to Kensuke Sasaki, who runs wild, hits an atomic drop on Rick Rude, which I have to say, there is a Twitter account that is just devoted to videos of Rick Rude taking and selling atomic drops. And it is (laughs) required. It is required. Because he would sell atomic drops. Like, someone had literally just cut his penis off with a machete.
0: <laughs> Rick Rude getting atomic drops on my god. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Put
1: that in the chat for me, please. I will. Huh. I, I cannot recommend that Twitter account enough. It is – I can look at it for hours. Um, Sasaki goes up to the top rope, but Orndorff shoves him off the top rope, and he ends up taking – that's the uh, the rude awakening neckbreaker from Rick Rude,
2: and the heels win in nine minutes and twenty five seconds. I thought the finish was weird because if I remember correctly, like you have uh, Dustin running in to break up the pin, but the pin doesn't get broken up or something. The, the finish came off as weird for me in this match.
1: Yeah, the timing was a little bit weird. I don't know. It was like like Sasaki went up, and like the whole idea, like Sasaki's gonna go up. And get pushed off. But like Orndorf took forever to get over there. So like Sasaki's standing on the top rope, not doing anything for like way too long. And then Orndorff finally runs over there and shots <laughs> off the top rope. But like,
0: uh, it's a little weird. But I it- am over here dying at Rick Rude. <laughs> oh we're, like, we're not
2: going to see Jake the rest of this podcast. He's going to be too busy watching these clips. One of them wasn't even Rick Rude, but it was still funny.
0: Oh my gosh, I am cracking up. At one point, he like, I don't know, he like tap dances his feet around. <laughs> it's
1: just like he, he looks like he is he sells it like he's he is giving birth
2: <laughs> in the middle of the ring. I, oh my gosh! I, I I will say actually, my oozy Christmas guy's got to be rude. Just the, and from the entrance to how he walks to the ring. How he disrobes himself in the middle of the ring, cutting the <laughs> promo on the crowd, saying that this is what peak male, essentially saying well, this is what peak male performance looks like. Huh, huh. He's you got his fat, out of shape, sweat hogs. <laughs> <laughs> He's got his face on his trunks, which he—I'm pretty sure—he constantly <laughs> had. It wasn't like yeah. a one-time thing. That was his Beautiful entire trunks. Thing. Um, so. And the way he sells in this match, like his facial expressions, like even early on when he's just getting that arm wrench by uh, Sasaki, uh, like you can see the pain and anguish on his face and how he's moving around. Uh, and then when he gets hit with that atomic drop, it's just, oh my gosh, the way he sells. It's over the top, but it's a good kind of over the top because if you're not going to be a good seller, at the very least, sell the small stuff perfectly, and he rude does that. Um, the height that Dustin flipped Rude in the air was just nuts, especially a guy, Dustin, that really WWE failed. A guy that probably should have been a top-of-the-card guy based on his pedigree and how good he is in the ring, and the more and more I watch him in these WCW uh, events, the more I come to that conclusion. Uh, Other than that, the one other spot was Sasaki military pressing Rude, and for me, I am a sucker for military press spots, especially when the guy is smaller than the guy he's pressing. So that got a pop for me. Uh a solid match. It's definitely a good way to break up the hour long event of old guys that were coming through.
0: Oh, Oh, is it my turn? Sorry, I'm still watching Richard being a comic dropped. No. Uh yeah, this this was fun. There was a spot where Dustin and Rude were like trading pile drop or not trading, but like, one of them would get the other one up for a pile driver, and then they would switch. That was fun. Uh, I decided during this match that if I had been a wrestling fan in 1993, I think Rick Rude would have been my favorite wrestler. Because I would have loved a heel that was hilarious, like he is. And that that, that would have been right up my alley. Yeah. Um, but, uh, what was I going to say? Oh. Uh, At first, whenever I was reading through the match card, I saw Rhodes and I was like, oh man, I'm going to get to see a Dusty Rhodes match. And then it it wasn't. It was Dustin.
1: (laughs) Okay. Yeah, solid match. Enjoyed it. Uh, Moving on. This is one of the real low points of the show. So, well, okay. Actually, no. Uh, I I was skipping ahead. We have to get one thing out of the way first. Uh, The WCW Hall of Fame is being inaugurated on... This show we've got the legendary announcer Gordon Soley inducting the first four members of the WCW Hall of Fame. They are the legendary former NWA champion Lou Fez. We've got Vern Gagne, who we saw a little bit earlier in that uh, the Bachwinkle match, Mister Wrestling Two, who gets a really big pop, and uh, Eddie Grant. So they end up and they end up having a a moment of silence. For all the the fallen wrestlers who could not be here at this Legends reunion. And absolutely nobody in the crowd stayed silent for it. It was kind of sad.
2: I will, um, I will say about this, because I, I mean, I didn't take notes on this entire thing. But the one story that really, I hope it was true, was a story about Mr. Wrestling 2 getting invited to the White House. But so, uh, Secret Service saying that he had to remove his mask for the dinner. And he declined because he would not remove his mask. Yeah. that Is that a that, story?
1: That is true. He got he got invited to Jimmy Carter's inauguration because he was like such a like Jimmy Carter was from Georgia and he was a big wrestling fan, and like Mr. Wrestling Two was like huge in Georgia, like a big mainstream celebrity in Georgia, and like Jimmy Carter like loved Mr. Wrestling Two, and like Mr. Wrestling Two was friends with Jimmy Carter's wife, and so they invited him to the his inauguration when he became president, and like we're gonna have him in like the first row of the inauguration. And the Secret Service told him that he couldn't wear his mask, and so he said no. He didn't go. Commit to the gimmick. Dude, I respect it, man. alive. Big respect. Uh, But now moving on to, I think, like one of the real low points of this show. Sting comes out. Everyone loves Sting, top baby face, big pop. We all love him. He is scheduled to take on Scott Norton. Who was a a big star in japan former iwgp heavyweight champion one of those big one of the best big men of his time um who had just recently been signed by wcw paper looks like a match that should be pretty good um except for the fact that uh, scott norton ended up getting into a contract dispute with wcw right before the show didn't want a job to Sting, and so he quit and left and went back to japan They do not tell the crowd this or tell anybody that Scott Norton's not going to be there. He instead gets replaced by a guy called The Prisoner. (laughs) A little background on The Prisoner. He was a big guy who the previous year, in 1992, he'd had a run in WWF. His whole gimmick, he, he had a feud with the big boss man, who of course was like the evil prison guard. Nails, as his name was in WWF, had said that uh boss man had abused him while he was in prison and he was out for revenge they had a bunch of shitty matches and then if i remember correctly he got he had a like a short feud with the undertaker which resulted in a bunch of shitty matches then he left the ww he shows up in wcw as the prisoner and i mean the whole crowd is just not into this um they've been advertised one match and instead they get a dude who sucked in WWF and the fans are chanting bullshit. And the match is about five minutes long. It sucks. Um, Nails just kind of chokes sting or the prisoner. I called him nail. I I wrote nails in my, uh, in my notes, but the prisoner, he chokes sting with a cable on the floor, beats him up for a while. Sting makes a comeback. hits the stinger splash hits a body slam, and then ends up hitting a diving clothesline off the top rope, and he wins the match in about five minutes. This match sucked. The fans hated it. And it's kind of classic WCW, man. They advertise a match. One of the guys just decides to dip, and he doesn't want to do it. And they do not tell the fans this at all. And then they're like, hey, guys, here's Nails. Remember him? And (laughs) nobody cares, and they're pissed.
2: I get next match i yeah i got nothing uh deal yeah. i do have one thing actually Would the prisoner gimmick work today could you get no. the prisoner gimmick no. no hell no are you serious <laughs> okay. get out of here uh
0: that's what i thought Hold nope. on. what's the current what's like the current example of the prisoner gimmick
2: currently and I, I, don't, I, I, I don't mean, i don't
0: mean i don't mean that's doing a prisoner gimmick i just mean like that is just doing a terrible gimmick I don't know. I don't guess. I don't really know what I'm asking. I guess a, a, a gimmick in poor taste. <laughs> who would who would WWE put into the prisoner position like they did right here with Sting? Dolph Ziggler. Ooh. Yep, I think Angela just did like, it. Actually, who would
1: be the guy that they just like send out? They're like, hey, I know you got advertised this guy, but here's Dolph, Dolph Ziggler. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> it probably is Dolph Ziggler. <laughs> uh, and that's such an insult to Dolph Ziggler because he's actually good. But I love uh, Dolph. I mean, Dolph is great, but man, he gets uh, yeah. booked like shit. Speaking speaking of ridiculous WCW promotional bullshit, the next match is a tag team steel cage match for the NWA and WCW World Tag Team Championships. The champions are one of the best tag teams of their era, the Hollywood Blondes, Flying Brian Pillman, and Stunning Steve Austin. They are taking on the tag team of Dos Hombres, the, the great Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, with about whom we have uh, spoken at length. I mean, we did the Ricky Steamboat-Rick Flair match from the Chi-Town Rumble in 89. One of the great uh, workers of all time. His tag team partner is uh, Shane Douglas, who would go on to fame as uh, the guy who inaugurated ECW later this year. But Shane Douglas, as it turns out, is injured. He has... Uh, injured his shoulder a couple weeks before he is not cleared to wrestle. What they do instead is have Tom Zank, who, if you're like me and you remember everything all the time, you remember that he had a run in WWF in the mid-80s, tag-teaming with, I believe it was Rick Martell. He's just a guy. They, They have Tom Zank replace Shane Douglas, but they don't tell anybody that it's Tom Zank. What they do is they say, hey, Ricky Steamboat and Tom Zank, you guys actually wear full body suits and wear masks. And then we'll tell everybody that that's Shane Douglas under a mask. (laughs) They just put Tom Zank out there and they say, that's Shane Douglas, but you can't see because he's wearing a mask. But trust us, that's Shane Douglas. Meanwhile, it's a completely different guy. And I think a lot of the fans can tell that it's not Shane Douglas because him and Tom Zank have completely different physiques and are not the same height. And it's just
0: <laughs> there's small, this
1: is what makes wrestling great.
2: This is What makes <laughs> wrestling great.
1: They just put a different guy out there and say, no, that's Shane Douglas. Okay. Trust us. That is totally Shane Douglas, but they go out there and they have a good match. It's, you know, you can, you can at least tell which one Steamboat is just by how they wrestle and, like, the chops and everything. And, you know, Pillman's a great worker. Austin, at this point, is a great worker. Um, and Steamboat, of course, is a legendary worker. Uh, some really good Matt wrestling. It's it, This match is a little bit kind of... There's a weird kind of incongruity there because they're having this tag match in a cage. But, like, they're doing just kind of a tag match. They're doing that. They're like they're respecting the tag rules and doing mat wrestling. I thought that was dumb. But there's a steel cage,
0: but they're just doing it inside a cage. Did you all? One of my favorite things is how they advertise this as a steel cage, and it's literally just like a dog kennel fence. Yeah, any human being. I mean, I we had that in our backyard for years to hold chickens, and even they got out of it. So you can't tell me that this cage is going to hold four large men. Yes,
1: but it's a good, it's, it is a technically very good match. Um, Austin takes a, a gnarly backdrop into the cage where he like hits the cage and slides down. It looks like he basically lands directly on his head. Uh, Steamboat, gorilla presses and throws Pillman into the cage and then he hangs Austin up over the top of the cage. He does a running splash into him and then he goes and tries to throw Zank into him to do a cross body, but then Austin falls off and they both kind of eat shit at the same time. Um, the blondes take over, a lot of double team work. Austin hits a really nice spine buster. Pillman hits a a kind of a springboard splash, but uh Zenk gets the knees up. They get the hot tag to Steamboat, he runs wild, hits a bunch of moves, takes his mask off. This is like the, the peak of the match. He takes his mask off, climbs up to the top of this like seven-foot-tall cage, and hits a big crossbody off the cage onto both guys. They kick out, and it's like obvious that they kick out, but the bell still rings anyway for some reason. And it's, I don't know. I don't know if they were kind of trying to go for like, oh, there's this false finish, and they think that the match is over, but it's really not, and there's going to be some weird stuff. Like, they continue to just wrestle the match normally. Like, they are not affected by this bell. Like, the bell ringing has no practical effect on the match whatsoever. So I don't know why they did it. Um, the match just continues Steamboat hits DDTs on both guys, two count him and Zank hit a double drop kick on Pillman, two count they try to do the uh, double Irish whip out of the corners where Austin and Pillman would end up slamming into each other in the middle of the ring Pillman ends up reverses it and he whips Tom Zank into Austin who hits his finisher at the time, this is pre-Stone Cold Stunner the (laughs) stun gun which is like a quick flapjack, flapjack into the top, like into the top rope, and he hits the move, rolls up Zank, and gets the pin, and the Hollywood Blondes retain the titles in 16 minutes and eight seconds. Decent match. I thought it was a solid match, even though it was weird that they were just doing a regular match just in a cage.
2: That was I. Didn't like that at all in terms of. Like, I enjoy the tornado tags. You get a lot more chaos, a lot more action, and it's kind of silly to have this gimmick match, but you're still playing by the original rules. Uh, I do like the look of the old cage, though. I know Jake said it's the uh, essentially a chicken coop more or less, but I don't know. I think the aesthetic of that cage versus the cages used now, I like the old cage better. Um, Stone Cold looks r- like very lithe lithe in this match. Uh, like, cause you see him in WWE, uh, WWF later, and he's a little bit thicker, uh, not just in the middle, but like in terms of like his legs and his arms a little bit thicker then here, he's still a little bit skinnier, uh, which is weird to see as someone that has pictured Stone Cold Steve Austin as Stone Cold Steve Austin for the longest time. The hair still throws me off. Um, I enjoy the doppelganger concept. I do think that this is a fairly poor, poorly done version of that, um, when I think about, like, the Bellas, the Bellas had a really good doppelganger concept or gimmick for the longest time, and I thought they did it right. This one just kind of feels very bland. Uh, I did like the Tree of, Woe Cage Splashes, though, uh, that Austin takes, and one that I think he was supposed to dodge, but still ends up getting hit a little bit and then falling directly on his neck, essentially. Uh, I did like the finish. Uh, the stun gun into the quick pin, uh, hillman and austin doing a great job as a tag team and just kind of overcoming the surprise babyface slash we don't know which guys which uh storyline that they told
1: the stun gun not to be confused with the gun stun gun. which is the machine gun carl anderson's uh finisher version of the his his take on the rko
0: and what do we always say about machine gun carl anderson former G1 finalist, machine gun, Carl Anderson,
1: <laughs> the real leader of the Bullet
0: Club. Uh, you know, this match, again, I just don't... I've already mentioned my one note. I said, I love the steel cage. It's just dog kennel fence that you can buy at Lowe's. I was there today. They had some panels of it, you know. Um, and I I just... I think the absurdity of WCW at this point, like David's already talked about, whenever they replace Scott Norton with the prisoner, they're, they tell Tom Zink, like, hey put this mask on and uh, go out there you're gonna be Shane Douglas now <laughs> like <laughs> I, I just think it's hilarious and I don't know I, I I never I never like whenever they give racially based gimmicks to guys or, and maybe this isn't racial when but you know they're calling them dos hombres they're giving them luchador masks. They're wearing huge
1: sombreros out to the ring. Oh yeah, that's right. No, it, they did. It, it, yeah. That so, did feel so, off.
0: Yeah, no, so absolutely. So with the sombreros, then absolutely, they're giving them a racial-based thing, and you know, you just have to wonder: Did they consult somebody? Because they totally didn't, and it's totally tone-deaf, and it's bad. Yeah, I just it, it always it always makes me feel bad for the guys doing it because, like, they they might not have had an option as to whether they they could say no. To the gimmick, because otherwise it's like, well, you're fired. Welcome you to know?
2: 1993.
0: Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Twenty was that what? Twenty seven years ago? Yep.
1: We're old. Yeah, man. Ricky Steamboat, who was a, a half Japanese guy from Hawaii, and uh, Tom Zank, who was a white guy.
0: Yeah, let's give them yeah. let's give them a luchador, which is a traditionally South uh, Latin American, Mexico based, you know, style of wrestling. Let's just slap it on the on the Hawaiian guy and the white dude. Yep. <laughs> that uh, That does not sound like a bad idea at all. Listen, man. We
1: could we could do a whole podcast about just <laughs> terrible, like racially insensitive gimmicks in wrestling and it would it would be twelve hours long. Who
0: was who was booking at this point? Was it Rus wasn't Russo, was it? No. It was um oh god. This was post
1: it might have been Dusty. I think it was It was post-Bill Watts, I think. I think it might have been Dusty. I'm not okay. 100% sure. Well, Maybe it was... It might have still been Bill Watts, but I think he left around this
0: time. So I was I'm not 100% sure.
1: sure. It, it, it wouldn't shock me if it was Bill Watts <clears throat> because of that. No, I, I have no idea. Moving on. We have our uh, second-to-last match, one of our two big championship singles matches. Barry Windham and Arn Anderson, but first... They've been having these interview segments for a while. Um, I haven't gone through all of them, but we've got Eric Bischoff with uh, Mr. Wrestling 2. We've got uh, Stu Hart there, of course, the father of Brett and Owen Hart and the patriarch of that whole family of wrestlers. And we've got Dusty Rhodes. Of course, so I have to mention Dusty Rhodes because we all love Dusty Rhodes. Mm-hmm. Dusty. Um, Dusty is talking shit about the assassin. Uh, who called him out earlier in the night. And he says, my big ass is standing out here. So come and get it. And it was just weird, you know, because it's like the assassin's like 60 years old and really fat by this point. We know that that match isn't going to happen. And also this is the period where uh, Bret Hart was, I think the WWF champion and Owen Hart was getting pushed. And Stu is like on WWF programming all the time at this point. But then here he is WCW slamboree and he's just kind of standing there and chilling. So respect to Stu Hart for uh, getting the bag all the time, (laughs) but we've got Barry Windham and we've got the enforcer, double a Arn Anderson for the NWA world heavyweight title. This is another, it's, it's a match. It's fine. It probably could have used a little more time, I think, but I don't know. Um, Arn and and Wyndham, they start out wrestling early. Arn gets a couple near falls, tries to do a move off the middle rope, but Wyndham catches him with a shot out of midair and he takes over. Not a lot of heat, really, for most of this match. They go to the outside. Arn slams Wyndham's head into the guardrail and Wyndham just blades. And he starts leaking everywhere. (laughs) And I I did like the psychology of it because you can see really throughout the rest of the match, Arn kind of targeting that spot. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, Wyndham is bleeding from. Um, Wyndham ends up drop kicking him when he is sitting on the top rope, and Arn bumps to the floor, and then he does a, a diving clothesline and a, a knee drop to the back of the head. Arn comes back, hits that big, beautiful Arn Anderson spine buster, but he's he can't cover. Wyndham rolls outside, he grabs his belt, he decides, screw this, I'm out of here. Starts to walk up the ramp. Arn roll comes after him and throws him back in, starts beating on him. They end up doing a rough bump spot. Wyndham grabs the belt, hits him in the face with the belt, knocks him out. And Barry Wyndham with the belt shot, heel tactics. He pins Arn Anderson and retains the belt in 10 minutes and 55 seconds.
0: Classic heel tactics. I want Arn Anderson to spine buster me onto a stack of steel chairs. That would complete my life if he would just do that to me. Uh, the camera angle on his spine buster didn't do it justice, but man, is it a, is it a pretty thing to see uh, if you get to watch it? And I think, um, there was a a time whenever I think it was Carl Anderson or Luke Gallows, their kids were doing one and they like tagged Arn in it and they were like, rate this spine buster. And uh, Arn was like nine out of 10, get a little more air and you'll get a 10. It was, (laughs) it was a very wholesome interaction on uh, Twitter between them.
2: If, if Arn Anderson's spinebuster isn't one of your two and a half marks, I'll be very disappointed. Uh, but I like the story this match told, even if the match itself wasn't that like spontaneous or fun. Uh, the story early where you see uh, Arn going for a lot of early pins to keep Barry on his toes, I enjoyed having the match shut off with that tension because it kind of builds up throughout the match. It makes you think, okay, where's this fall going to come from? Because Arn's trying to get a lot of these quick pins in. Uh Wyndham hits a drop kick while Arn is up th- on the top rope, so Jake, you can check that off your bingo card as well. Uh, picture perfect drop kick. Uh, then obviously Arn's spinebuster, which is just another thing that's absolutely pif- p- picture perfect. Uh, everything about it is excellent. Uh, Arn has to be teach Cody that, because Cody doesn't use a spinebuster buster enough in his matches, and when he does, it's not always pretty. Uh, other than that, I thought it was really interesting seeing face Arn hurt the ref. And cause himself to kind of take that opening where which Barry uses to hit him with the belt. I thought that was I like that storytelling when the face is the one causing the ref to be knocked out to allow the heel to use heel tactics. I'm a big sucker for that. Uh, Not a lot in this match, but again, I like the story of it, and I think that that's kind of uh, one of the things you look for in matches back during this time period. Either the match is going to be exciting, or the story it tells is actually really meaningful.
1: Yeah, this is a solid match. I think with Arn you can't go wrong and, and Barry Windham also had a reputation as a great worker so those two guys are probably going to have a solid match not a great situation for them because most of the show is sucked ass the crowd doesn't really you know it, it's not a great spot for the crowd and uh you know they didn't have a ton of time but and you know they have to have a a ref bump belt shot finish but I, I thought with those two guys you're gonna get something solid and it's a solid match
2: I will, I will say, Barry looks a lot more like Bray than Bray's dad does. Yes. And I believe
1: Bray was named after Barry Wyndham. Yes, His he was. Windham Wyndham Rotunda. So.
2: Even some of the, like, m- like yeah. runs that you see or uh, hear from Barry, like, remind me a lot of Ray in the, uh, Bray in the ring. So, I don't know. I just thought it was interesting because I always like comparing those two guys. The Fiend, Bray Wyatt's currently one of my favorite characters in wrestling, so... Anytime I get to compare him to the old guys and his relatives, it's kind of fun.
1: Angelo has opinions on Barry Windham's grunts, ladies and gentlemen. He <laughs> we now move on to the main events. It's a WCW title match with two of my goddamn favorite guys, baby. <laughs> it's Big Van Vader, the WCW champion. I have spoken at length back in our Fall Brawl episode and expounded and waxed poetic about my love for Vader. He is defending his title against another one of my all-time faves, the British Bulldog, Davy Boy Smith. And, you know, Davey Boy was a great worker in the 80s. By this point, he has been roided up and gassed up to the point where he can't really move as well. It's not as bad as it would get maybe a couple years later. But he and Vader go out there, and they have themselves a good match. This is, a, I, I thought, a really good match. Davey Boy, who just recently signed with WCW, you know, this is their effort to kind of put him over as a, a real big top-of-the-card guy. They have Vader, who is, you know, the, the maybe the greatest super heavyweight in the history of wrestling, you know, trying to hit these power moves on him, and Davey Boy just not selling it and then vader tries to to splash onto davy boy on the outside but he ends up missing and going over the guardrail and davy boy hits a bunch of power spots on him and the crowd really pops every time davy boy hits a move on on this just big big boy uh you know hits a big vertical suplex hits a body slam on the floor vader tries to go off the middle rope davy catches him in middle in Turns it into a power slam, which was awesome. Uh, tries to get him in a crucifix, but then Vader just kind of squashes him. Takes back over, hits the Vader bomb, but but Davy Boy kicks out. Gets him in the corner, starts kind of wildly swinging punches at him. Apparently, actually, legit broke Davy Boy's nose when he <laughs> was doing this. Um, Davy Boy ends up tossing Vader off the top rope. Hits a diving headbutt. Uh, dodges a a sit-out senton and rolls him up for a two-count. Vader ends up going up to the top rope, hitting a a big top rope splash, but can't cover. Davy Boy comes back, hits a big electric chair slam, hits him a bunch of times, hits a big clothesline for a two-count. He ends up hitting a big power slam from out of the corner. Harley Race ends up running in, breaks up the pin, pulls him out of the ring. They start fighting on the outside. For some reason, this isn't a disqualification, even though Harley Race has laid his hands on Davy Boy Smith. Harley Race, who is accompanying Vader to the ring. I should have mentioned that earlier. Um, Davy Boy starts beating up Harley on the outside, and Vader walks up and hits him with a chair. And then Vader is disqualified, and that's the end of the match. A, dis- a disqualification in the main event of the show and Vader retains the WCW title in 16 minutes. A dumb finish, like a lot of other matches on this card. But I thought up until that a really good match.
2: I was going to say this is a finish that everybody loves and no one complains about, especially when it's in the main event of the pay per view that you're selling. Yeah. Have-
1: <laughs> no. But one one thing right 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 before the end, uh, so they disqualify him. Buff Bagwell and Tooth Cold Scorpio run in to try and defend Davy Boy, who's about to get murdered. They both get killed, and Vader is about to end Davy Boy's life with uh, you know, whatever he's gonna do. And then Sting runs out, and Sting gets like the biggest pop of the whole show. Everyone's crazy for Sting. He attacks Vader and he saves Davy Boy. That's the end of the show. We I'm, sign off from Slamberie
2: 93. I'm pretty sure uh, I made David's life when I called him Davy Boy Smith that one time.
0: I love Davy Boy Smith. I love him. <laughs> there is there is no way that Vader weighed 450 pounds, right? I think he legit might have. Have you seen the guy? Not
2: here. There's no not, way, there's no way here not, he not, was. He
1: was definitely well over 300, though. Well over. Yeah, well, for sure. But are you telling me there's not a difference between 350 and 450? I mean, there's a difference. But either way, the dude's heavy as
0: shit. What did, hold on. What did, what did Yokozuna get billed at? Like 6-hundo. No way. Is that what he got like built at? His,
1: at, his, at his peak, yeah. I think when he was champ, it was like 500.
0: Yeah, it says build weight, 589 pounds. So you're telling me that he was only 130 pounds heavier than Vader here? Like, so, well, some of these numbers are a little bit tall. I was going to say, I Vader, what's...
2: Vader <laughs> here looks in, like, in the best shape we've seen him at. There are, like, at uh, Fall Brawl, he did look a lot thicker. Here he looks like a normal kind of heavyweight. He yeah. looks
1: like he's at least 350 pounds. Are you kidding me? That's fine. That's different than 150.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, there's a lot in this match. I will say, I loved Vader's like striking ability because that's something that I don't necessarily associate with him. I think of like the Vader bomb and just his power moves. I never think of him really as a striker, but he throws a lot of good-looking punches in this match. Uh, Davy Boy Smith, though, the British Bulldog with dreads, was a, definitely an interesting uh, wardrobe choice. The British Bulldog,
1: once he went to the Beaded Dreads in, like, 92,
0: main eventer, baby. He he invented that look. It's power levels, dude. It's all about the hair. I will say, he's huge. It's just like how
1: Trunks Okada is at a different level than Long (laughs) Pants Okada. Like, Beaded Dreads British Bulldog is a different power level than any other British Bulldog.
2: And again, this is another match that I think tells a great story with Vader not being used to a guy that can compete with his size and power. And you have the British Bulldog out there almost outstrengthening him at the moment. I know that's not a word. Uh, but his uh, Vader's facial reactions to seeing a guy that can match him strength for strength – uh, Bulldog does a lot of cool strong moves in this match. The power slam, the stalling suplex that he hits on Vader in this match, which is just ridiculous because even though Vader isn't actually 450 pounds, a stalling suplex on a man of that size is still just a sight to behold. Uh, I really like the electric tear too. Like, There's just a lot of good power moves that you see from the British Bulldog onto Vader, and Vader kind of adapting a role as the underperforming heel who has to use heel tactics to retain the belt, which is not as something you would see for a guy like Vader and how he's built. So I enjoyed the story. I enjoyed the power moves. This is definitely worthy of a main event spot, but the finish just leaves a bad taste in your mouth.
0: Yeah, that's pretty much what I have. I love the match, but the ending just absolutely ruined it. I I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, I said, Davey boy Smith again, I think way ahead of his time. I think he's, if he's around today, He's got a chance to be a main eventer, um, but the the show that these two guys put on with Vader, you know, being able to do the both the high flying type stuff that he does and the power stuff, I also think he's kind of ahead of his time. Even though he was pushed as as you know the main event type guy, I think if he's around today, I think he's another guy that's treated like Undertaker and Kane and those guys. Um, I I would love to be able to see. I mean, is there anybody comparable to Vader right now? Keith Lee, I think, comes to mind. Maybe a Lee or a Jeff Cobb type, but yeah, Jeff Cobb. But I mean, but Jeff Cobb's not a WWE guy. Like, what about WWE? Would WWE you, Otis
2: doesn't do high flying stuff, but no, like he's got definitely he's got the not worm.
1: Otis is like got the same type of body type, but he doesn't wrestle
2: like Vader does. No. Keith,
0: Keith Keith Lee's the only guy that comes to my mind.
2: I will say another great thing about Vader too is just how he interacts with the crowd. Like he is great at getting heat from the crowd live and talking back and forth with them throughout the match and just pissing them off and getting those boos and those reactions that you look for as a wrestler. So, I mean, Vader was a complete package.
0: It makes me sad to think um, to think about Vader because he just passed away two years ago. Yeah, a couple years ago, and uh, like I had never really watched much of his stuff. But the reaction in the wrestling community was huge. People loved Leon, not just Vader. They loved Leon. I think White was his last name, if I remember correctly. They loved Leon. And so that that to me, it kind of endeared him to me because people just loved the guy. And he was a great worker, and everybody thought that he was a good person as well. So sad, yeah, yeah. sad.
1: I have, you know, if you listen to the Fall Brawl 94 episode, I have expounded on my love for Vader. You know, you might say that they, they don't make them like Vader anymore. But <laughs> that would be inaccurate. Card. That would be inaccurate because that would imply that they ever made them like Vader in the first place, and they didn't. They just made Vader. He's the only one that they ever made, and that's it. There's just Vader. <laughs> he is so good and awesome, and he's the best. I love Vader. Oh, shoot. I mean, there's no guy that size who – would bump like he did and work as hard as he did and do the stuff that he did.
2: Could Van so, Vader beat Darth Vader? Van Vader
1: <laughs> Big Van Vader would Darth Vader. Couldn't even, couldn't even beat Obi-Wan. When Obi-Wan was not renowned as a fighter, Obi-Wan was known as the great negotiator. He was not <laughs> a fighter. And Obi-Wan just completely, I mean, I mean, that was a squash match, baby. I mean, that, Anakin Skywalker jobbed the hell out to Obi Wan Kenobi and Mustafar.
0: Stay, stay tuned for our next episode where Roman Reigns is compared to a young Anakin Skywalker, and in in
1: uh, in, uh, in uh, Super Brawl, uh, nineteen years before the Battle of Yavin. <laughs> <laughs> Anakin Skywalker jobbed out to Obi Wan Kenobi, and Vader didn't go under, man. So I, I think Vader's. I think I think Vader's picking up the win. So that will be it for our uh, for for the event of WCW Slamboree 1993. Let's move on to our two and a half marks. David, you
0: go first today. Oh, oh, hey,
1: oh, oh, okay, fine. <laughs> so my half mark. I didn't really mention this much throughout the show, but it it is something that gave me. Uh, Some good laughs throughout. I mentioned at the beginning of the show, throughout the card, in between matches, you keep having Eric Bischoff and Missy Hyatt interviewing some of the past legends who are there. And every time Missy Hyatt was on, my my half mark goes to all these old wrestlers being really horny for Missy Hyatt. (laughs) Because, and I am sure... You know, bless her heart, I am sure it was very uncomfortable for her and I feel for her, but for me, it was kind of funny. I I, I, I thought it was kind of funny watching these, like, 65-year-old dudes be horny for Missy Hyatt. I just, you know, again, I'm sure it was uncomfortable for her, and I'm sure she was glad to be out of there when it was all over. But for me, watching it on the WWE Network in 2020 got myself a couple laughs.
0: We've talked multiple times, though, about, like, the culture that, like, that they perpetuated back then when it came to like men and women in the wrestling. Scene. Oh yes. Very, very, like, very bad. Yeah. I'm not trying to make a, a big,
1: you know, statement about it. No. I'm just saying like, it was kind of funny to watch. A I know, bit,
0: but that, that's know? what I'm saying. Like, like we've, we, we've already, we've talked about that before in our, yes. our feelings about it.
1: Yes, absolutely. So yeah, I mean like disclaimer again, I, I'm sure it was not fun for her, but it was a little fun. Um, my one Mark goes to Thunderbolt Patterson, baby, because again, this was a show that was built around the legends and it was nice to see one of those guys go out there and kind of do his shtick and the fans be really happy to see him genuinely, really happy to see him and into everything he did. And he just got a good pop. He seemed like he had a good time. The fans seemed like they had a good time. They weren't bored. And then he got out of there after a few minutes. And then everyone was oh, at that, all. That was nice that we got to see Thunderbolt Patterson do his, do his shtick. You know, that is how, if you're going to do stuff like this, that's the way it should be. Get the guy out there. He gets a pop. Everyone's happy to see him. He does his stuff for a couple minutes. And then he gets out of there. And he doesn't stay around wrestling, you know, for 10, 15 minutes when he is, you know, 55 years old. That is the perfect way to handle it. And so big shouts to Thunderbolt Patterson. And my two marks, you know, it's got to go to Davy Boy. I feel like I haven't gotten a a big chance to talk about my man, the British Bulldog, Davy Boy Smith. He is a guy that in the 80s, he was having matches in Japan that were 20, 25 years ahead of their time. And then... By the late '80s and the early '90s, he had, you know, bulked up, gotten real over, and developed this style that mixed that really strong technical ability with his power. And I, I just liked watching the guy wrestle. I thought he was really cool. The the, the dreads and the 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 beaded dreads combo, revolutionary, and. <laughs> SummerSlam 1992 with Bret Hart is a great match, and Wembley Stadium goes insane when he wins. So recommend that one for sure. So
2: will you be wearing dreads this Saturday? I uh, got a haircut last week, so no.
0: Um, All right, well, I'm going to follow up, David. Um, So I'm going to give my half mark, and I'm actually going to – I'm doing two different things with my marks today, actually. Um, I just feel it only right – that if Dusty Rhodes is on a show, I got to give him marks. There's just no other way around. <laughs> so I'm giving my half mark to Dusty Rhodes because all he did is cut one promo. But he said, I think his exact words were, my big fat ass is out here, so come get you some, or something along those lines. And I popped. I was ready for a fight. I wanted to fight for Dusty. Just like in Fall Brawl 94, I wanted to go to war games for Dusty. Um... So now I've just decided every time he's on a pay-per-view, he's getting marks from me uh, to some degree. Um, so I'm going to introduce a new metric here, and I'll see I'll see how it works. I'm introducing a negative mark. I, I I'm interesting. I'm giving a negative mark here. Okay, okay. My, my one mark will be a negative one, negative one, and it's going to bringing back legends just for the pop. We saw this last night. We've already talked about Raw where they brought back Shane to pop ratings. This whole show, um, David, you said that you read Meltzer sometimes about these shows. Did he say anything about the ratings at this point in 93 for WCW? Uh, 1993 was not a
1: great time. Uh, time business-wise for WCW, yeah. to say the least.
0: It was a bad time, and that's, that's a where time. a lot of came from. They were like, well, we're going to pop the, the fans by bringing back these legends who a lot of them were not like full-time TV wrestlers or like nationwide TV wrestlers. They were territory guys. So it wasn't like they were popping like the nationwide audience. They were popping like their their uh, Georgia championship wrestling fans and stuff like that. Um, and WWE does this all the time where you can bring back a legend. That's cool. Like even though some people didn't like the Kevin Nash CM Punk angle, it made sense. They, there was a story there. But sometimes they're just like, yeah, Stone Cold's going to be on tonight. Tune in. And Stone Cold shows Stone Cold up and stunners Vince and then he goes home. And it doesn't matter the next night.
2: Goldberg shows yeah. up and challenges the fiend for the universal title for well, no I wish, reason.
0: I wish that that hadn't mattered, but it, it <laughs> ended up mattering. Um, uh, so that, so that's going to be my, that's going to be a negative mark given to the bringing back legends for the pop. Uh, and my two marks back to positive. Uh, it's going to guys who are just ahead of their time to cold Scorpio, big man, Vader, Davey boy, Smith, and, um, I think you could throw like a root and a sting in there because although they they were they got over in their time, I think that them, I think that they would do the same type of business now. I think they get over. I think they crush it. Um, but especially the guys like Davy Boy, who I don't think a lot of people nowadays appreciate for how good he was, other than David Statman, um, or uh, or or maybe the other two marks as well. Um, but too cold, you know, super great van, big van Vader, phenomenal. Um, so two marks going to guys who are just ahead of their time.
2: All right. This is stuff for me. Cause the more I think about it and the more I look up and down this card, there's a lot of guys I did enjoy. Um, but I think I have my order figured out and I'm going to stick with it. I think my half mark, the guy that I mark out for the most on a card, uh, going to be too cold Scorpio, a guy who was lost to time, a guy that I should have heard about a long time ago. The things he was doing in the ring were so next level, so unorthodox for WCW, that it was impossible for me to comprehend when he did that corkscrew senton leg drop onto Chris Benoit's head. Uh, A guy that oozed charisma walking (laughs) out of the ring. His entrance music was perfect for the team of him and Bagwell. And a guy that I hope we get to see more of, even though he was a mid-card guy in the 90s, so not going to get my hopes up for too much more. My one mark is going to go to Davey Boy Smith, uh, I enjoyed a lot of those power moves that he was hitting on Vader, because usually when we see a Sting Vader match, the story is Sting somehow doing a power move to Vader, whereas here, it was like, oh, this isn't like he's struggling, this is an ease for him, he could go all day with Vader with his strength, and I kind of enjoyed that story. Uh, yeah, the work rate isn't great here, but again, the look is there, the ability to perform these big moves on a bigger guy is there. And especially for this time period, that's something that's extremely exciting and something you can always rely on for a pop and my two marks. I think it's gotta be Rick rude. I can't, I can't not recognize Rick rude. Uh, I enjoy his, uh, rude awakening finisher. I enjoy his trunks. I enjoy the promo. He cuts the entrance. That he comes out. Everything with Rick rude is perfect for Rick rude. um, and he's a guy that, again, you could take him from this era and drop him in now and keep him exactly the same, and he'd still get over. He'd still be popular. It'd still be great. Uh, so my two marks are going to be Rick Rude. Uh, a guy that, another guy that I think, along with two goals, Scorpio, is a guy that I can't wait to see the next time on the Two and a Half Marks podcast. Yeah,
1: I, I love Rick Rude because he is a guy that, like, It is maybe a little bit of an antiquated gimmick. It's like, it works because he was like the only guy with like abs anyway. (laughs) But like, you know, it's like like ripped guy who shows up to like make fun of you for being fat and tries to bang your wife. It's like, it's kind of a simple gimmick and maybe a little antiquated, but like he makes it good. It's a little like MJF now. Yeah. he. I, I feel like it's one of those things where like, yeah, I, I think it could work today
0: if it was him. You know what I mean? Yeah, Specifically, he yes. could do it with the, the no. with the porno must like like <laughs> porno mustache attached to him. I mean, it's perfect. Yeah, perfect, perfect guy. He, um, uh, I don't know. I thought I had a, I thought I had a thought there. It left me. All right. So it is now time for our last order of business and our
1: favorites. We're going to hit the randomizer. Let's go, buddy. As I pull buddy. this up, what are, we going to, what are we going to watch next week? Boys, what are you looking for? What are you hoping for? Let's go...
2: I, I think let's go like 02 to 04, WWE slash F. I want Ducky, man. And
1: you say 02 to 04, Angelo? I said 02 to 04. Well, you are going to be happy with this. Oh. We have got WWE Unforgiven 2003. Featuring a title versus career match for the world heavyweight championship. If Triple H uh, is disqualified or counted out, he loses the title. If Goldberg loses, he has to retire. It's the, it's oh the my legendary God. long-awaited showdown between oh, Triple H and Goldberg. For
0: the gold. <laughs> oh. Jake's
2: reaction is all I needed to be super excited for this. Ooh, baby.
0: This is the trash I wanted.
2: (laughs)
1: Unforgiven 2003. We've got Jonathan Coachman prominently figured in a match. We've got Kane versus Shane McMahon in a last man standing match.
2: Oh, good Lord. Lord.
1: We've got Rob Conway wrestling.
2: (laughs) This is going to be awesome.
1: It's going to be great. There's probably legitimately some good stuff on this show, but but man... (laughs) 2003 was not a great time for wwe so we'll see but that is what we got to look forward to next week wwe unforgiven 2003 so as usual for my good friends jake long and angelo and glisa i'm david statman this has been the two and a half marks podcast and as always guys everybody thanks for listening